My age is 18, and I live in the Pacific Northwest. How would you describe your politics or ideology? I, it's evolved over the years a lot, to be honest, but I would say right now, Japanese imperialism for sure. Who are your biggest influences? Writers, theorists? This, this, this is, this is going to get controversial fast. Uh, <laughs> can, can I just be blunt straight up? Sure, of course. Don't, I don't care. Uh, Mussolini, Hitler, Hideki Tojo, Julius Caesar, Otto von Bismarck, Frederick the Great. Yeah, I'd say those are. What results might you get from a political compass test? Um, last time I took the political compass test was actually not too long ago, so we have a pretty accurate reference frame. I would probably get center on economics. Like, literally, there's been times where I get exactly on the center line, and usually I'm either slightly right or left of the center line, and then I'm like four or five notches up on an authoritarian scale. Were you raised in a progressive, conservative, or an apolitical household? I was raised in a moderate liberal household. So I'm just going to dive right in and uh, recount what I remember about your account. Your account was an ongoing role-playing game. So maybe in your own words, if you would introduce us to what Lincolnia was, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. Well, actually, the official pronunciation for it, as, as silly as it sounds, is Lincolnia. That's actually how we read it down in the lore. But you may call it Lincolnia. That's fine. And about uh, how many participants or players were there in this project? Well, shit. I mean, it kind of depends on how you look at it. There was other nations in the world who cooperated with us and like added to the story, but there's also like people who were members of Lincolnia. And to an extent, I would have p public polls in my story that anybody could vote on, and there was news that anybody could read. So in a sense that all my followers participated to some extent in, in the Lincolnia project, people who gave me contributions to ideas, people who did some of the voting as like to represent the Lincolnian citizenry in certain points. There were people who enlisted into my army, my, the, these, these corporate boards I would create for my country, you know, my, my elite Templar force, there's people in the, in the parliament, in the, in the upper council, the monarchy, all that. So depending on how you look at it, I would say that probably around a hundred people, at least who were like participating in it, like somewhat regularly, but if you want to get technical, it's probably many hundreds because of the mass amount of people who did even smaller things to role play. I'm trying to draw an analogy here. Your followers could essentially opt into the governance of your nation. Right. I guess there was a, a core contributors, maybe you as the head of the account. Um, I mean, I was the military dictator of the country and head of government. Were there, aside from the followers who would vote and cast influence in that fashion, I also seem to remember it was similar to a flop account in some ways, that there was a core group that managed the goings-on of the nation. Yeah, there was. There was well, the highest, highest, there's many different levels of that, but the highest level was the council. The council. Uh, of course, the, the queen, of course. She was, the queen is basically the head of state. She would be the CEO. The council consisted of, at its height, I want to say... Four other people at one point, but it got reduced to three after one of the political parties became involved in an attempt to overthrow the state. So, and the monarchy and the military dictatorship. So, after that, we outlawed that party completely and brought it down to three. Wow. Attempted coup. Yeah. There was many of those. The, the radicals in the army were extremely ultranationalist, for instance, and they wanted a more radical ideology than I wanted at the time. And what, uh, what would you say was the ideological composition of this council, of the four advisors or cabinet right. members you have? Yeah, so, 
so the council was actually it was actually um, leaders and representatives of each political party, except for the party who obviously occupied the head of government, which was me. And there they only had a representative, whereas I would be the leader of the party occupying the head of government. But in summary, basically, there was the SNP. The SNP is the Social Nationalist Party, and they had a representative on the council. That's my party that I'm the leader of. And then the leader or representative of this other political party called the NWP or Nationalist Workers Party. And there was something called the Central Party, who had a, a representative and leader on the council. And then finally, there's one other party. The last one, I, oh, I see it here, United National Republican Party or UNRP. That was the, that was the one that was outlawed. And and that that's only for the the main uh, Link, Lincolnia document and the and the the second one I believe we'd actually talk about where they got banned because I believe they didn't get banned until the second part of the lore I want to say. When I got my phone, I was in seventh grade, Christmas time actually, and literally like you know a day after Christmas, I had gotten Instagram on my phone and like you know set up an account and and that's the same account that I actually use my main account to this day. It's a very very old account. When I started it, I was, you know, just posting memes, posting gaming stuff. I followed my classmates in middle school and all that. But then I started getting involved in politics because I was always kind of interested in politics. I, you know, I watched the presidential, you know, debates when I was in kindergarten, you know, you know, John McCain competing with Obama, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was kind of like early, you know, like the, the next year, I would say, where I kind of like got into like posting politics a lot, like on my on my page. I mixed that with gaming posts. I mixed that with a lot of gaming posts. But I was back then I was like a liberal, you know, and I was I was posting a ton of stuff and I was going to this conservative Catholic school. So all my all my classmates, you know, got all got all angry at me, you know. They didn't exactly like what I had to say. But you know, I kept <laughs> on I kept going further into this community of autism and, and I'm just a complete mentally ill cesspool, I mean, I tell you. What ended up happening is that I kind of became more and more radical left wing on social issues. Well, I would say retaining a center-left stance on on economics, I mean, like a social democrat, Mr. Bernie Sanders, kind of. I kept going with this till I was like eighth grade February, and there was when I had a huge conflict with my classmates. It was like a basically class long civil war, and by the end of that month, February, I was isolated. I had barely any allies. I was just this complete, you know, com- I was just completely destroyed. You know, I was completely mentally collapsed. And in the ensuing amount of time, I became more relaxed on social issues, although I became more radical in economics. I became a democratic socialist, but I became, but I ended up like becoming a little more nationalistic. I kind of thought like mass immigration was kind of dumb. I kind of, I became, I, I just became kind of like more like socially libertarian-ish kind of, maybe moderate conservative in some ways. And I kept going with that stance until I got a summer. And then I became a full-on anarcho-syndicalist. And, but I also was extremely homophobic. I became homophobic because my middle school friends ended up finally warming up to me by around summer because they saw me now as this kind of cool guy with making memes with having a bunch of fun, you know, and I wasn't, you know, squawking about social justice issues anymore. And, and you know, I, and I ended up getting like really just, you know, homophobic. I channeled that energy, you know, all my classmates like joined up with me, created this group called the No Homos Army. There were good times. And, you know, by, by the end of it, though, like, I began becoming more socially conservative. Like, first, I kind of looked at abortion, you know, and I saw the amount of babies that were killed under abortion. I watched a video on the procedures of abortion, you know, so I was trying to be an edgelord. But my autism caught up to me with my emotional sensitivity, and I was crying by the end of it, and I couldn't handle the fact that mass amounts of babies, millions were being killed. And that just completely destroyed me. It agonized me. I couldn't, my heart could not take it, you know, from a moral point of view. And that's when I became more socially conservative. I also, around that time, 
began to sympathize with Italian fascism and, and national syndicalism was found with the Falange Party in Spain. I began to see uh, this idea of syndicates, right? What if they could be arranged together and form a new state, a new government, right? That would be united for the nation. And that kind of idea combined with that patriotic soul, you know, that kind of merged together. And that's why I became a national syndicalist. So I renounced my anarchism in favor of totalitarianism under a syndicalist state. Yeah, that's kind of the beginning of how I kind of got closer to where I am now. I had, I got, so I got Snapchat in the summer between seventh and eighth grade. I got Instagram in Christmas of seventh grade. And when I started doing politics on Instagram, it was like January of seventh grade. And during that time, I, I became like, I would say, I'd say I kind of like got more involved with politics on Instagram, but not politigram yet, if that makes sense. Politics on Instagram is a pretty wide category. I don't think everybody in politics on Instagram knows about politigram necessarily. Politigram is, is a lot more radical and a lot more mentally ill. I started getting to politigram, I'd say around the summer between eighth and ninth grade. I think, yeah, that's when I, I got involved in what you'd actually call politigram proper. It's kind of weird to explain how you enter it. it it's first and subtle, you know? It's like all of a sudden you start getting like a little more radical memes. You start seeing a little more radical accounts, you know, with names like socialist attached to the end of them or nationalist attached to the end of them. You start seeing things like traditionalist in people's bios, you know, the memes become a lot more extremist and, you know, you maybe see a little more political compass stuff on your feed. And that's when you kind of know you're entering. It's not like, it's not like an immediate thing because the Instagram algorithm needs to take time to adjust into politogram, but it slowly happens. The more accounts you follow, the more stuff you like, that's what will eventually lead you to politogram. It's, a, it's, it's not a long journey, but you do, you do have to kind of look for the signs and follow them, if that makes sense. You got to find the weirdest political accounts you can find, especially stuff with a lot of ideologies in their bio. That's the only way you can really get to that point. We left off in your political evolution or your political journey around age 15 what is the pivotal experience or how do you find your way from national syndicalism into the stuff that you're into now? Right. So first, we have to kind of understand the transition to Strasserism. So Strasserism began with a simple truth that people are better off amongst their own race than they are with other people. And that's a controversial statement, I know. Uh, but um, this is an important thing because I have been a black nationalist for a long time. I've actually been my mom because I'm actually a half black. I, my mom kind of trained me when I was like in third or fourth grade to kind of like like a, like leaders like Malcolm X, you know, in the Nation of Islam and the Black Panthers. So I kind of fantasized and glorified those kinds of of political groups and movements. Honestly, when when I when I when I kind of like realized that oh these guys these guys are racist and they want their own separate ethnicities, I was kind of thinking, you know what? There's there's a sort of truth to what they're saying here. People do kind of want to live together with their own kind. I feel most comfortable around black people. Of course, the irony is, is that during this time, I really had a white girlfriend, but, <laughs> but never mind that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, kind of, I kind of got deep into that. And I, when I became a racialist, right, you know, I was kind of like a socialist, right? I was this racialist. I wanted an authoritarian state. And then I kind of began to, to start seeing what, what a lot of people talk about the, is the Jewish problem. But it was only lightly. I kind of said, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really... I'm not a big fan of the Jews, you know, you know, whatever it is, what it is, you know, and that's, that's kind of like where I, then I joined this, this old political party back in the day. It was called like the ANRP, American like Revolutionary Nationalist Party or something like that. 
and and like uh, we believed in like uh, a totalitarian socialist nationalist America. And although the group wasn't, it wasn't racialist. There definitely was. There definitely was some sympathize with racialism, but we kind of agreed that you know America is too diverse to probably be a, an ethno state, so it's probably not practical. So this yeah. is I'm not familiar with it. So it's a real oh. world political organization. I, it was it was it was kind of like a runt party that we tried to start, but we didn't in ninth grade. I see. I yeah. see. Okay. I, I when when I when I switched to ninth grade, then I be, I went to like a special science school. Yeah, and okay. that was like very atheist and liberal. In in ninth grade, yeah, it seems that in the conservative leaning Catholic context of your previous school, you were more socially progressive, and then yeah. in the progressive context of your new uh, mm-hmm. science and tech school or wherever you happen to be enrolled, you're very culturally conservative leaning. Do you feel <laughs> to some degree that you were shaped by external cultural political environment? Well, actually, no. I know it sounds crazy, but I developed these views organically beforehand. When I made the switch to to national syndicalism, that was in September. Like I was not in, involved in the school long enough to truly know its true composition at that point. I mean, when I when I ended up becoming more culturally conservative on issues like abortion, you know, that was literally in August. I was still like I was still late in my fourteens. It's not it's not as if the school did it for me, but it's just more so that I changed on my own. Can I ask you a few questions about your media consumption? Sure. Any content producers that you like? Yes. Not a ton, but a little bit. I like Mark Felton Productions, just this guy who does World War II uh, footage. This guy called Optimus kind of does some gaming stuff. This guy called Zoomer Clips, he does some Nick Fuentes recordings. Uh, China Uncensored. Uh, Jake Tran is this guy who talks a lot about the economy. Oh, Dr. Steve Turley. Of course, Dr. Steve Turley. He's a classical conservative. I looked on Reddit for uh, different stuff about political ideo- ideologies and, and other stuff before, but I don't use Reddit like a ton now. I'd argue, I'd argue that the entire community died after summer 2019. I feel like the, the community itself really was like, it was getting like so like exciting, like everything was just popping and vibing. And all of a sudden, summer, there was just like a crash. It was like the fucking Great Recession, you know? A lot of people kind of grew up and like there was a generation who left Politigram. Because I remember there's a lot of people who left Politigram around summer 2019 just simply because they had kind of like grown up growing out of it you feel me uh, i noticed there was a lot of stuff and like even me like i had a bunch of like although i was doing pretty well in early 2019 i ended up getting into a bunch of drama with some of my close friends like in in like summer 2019 so i just decided like i kind of wanted to you know take a break from playgram for a while i still was kind of active afterwards but just nowhere near as active you know especially after my role play was finished because you know people like a lot of people like my role play but there's some people who are just being asked about it and they just like wanted me to quit it so they kept on harassing me how do you spend your time today? What kind of hobbies do you get up to? I like working out, like running, play video games. I watch anime. I talk to my girlfriend. Yeah. I said that's mostly what I do. And then I have like this friend group I created on Snapchat. I like old people I know on Playgram, plus like in real life friends that I kind of created that I maintain. You know, if I know you well enough and we're, and we're close enough, I can integrate you with my in real life friends and we're all good. And honestly, I've gotten some of my in real life friends to kind of like, you know, be a little bit more political themselves to some extent. So, hey, you know. How did you start Lincolnia? I kind of had this concept, right, in 2017, which is this idea of naming this nation after me or country after me. And I, you know, wanted to, you know, allow people to play and, and kind of join in the sort of role play experience. 
So for me, it kind of became a thing where it slowly gradually evolved. It wasn't, I just switched into Lincolnia. It was kind of like, I came up with a concept and then it, and later on, and later on, what ended up happening is I took that concept and I kind of began to create this role play army almost online. And I began to eventually expand this army to include a government and a economy with various, you know, different ministries and all sorts of functions and all that in regions. And that's kind of how it began. You started it, I imagine, uh, on your own. Were you aware of other people who were doing these similar types of uh, nation RPG simulations? In fact, before I even um, started Lincolnia as a big role play kind of world, it was my friend called Nick, actually, and he was and he created this communist fiction that was called West Korea. West Korea was in many ways the, and I think you've read this in actually the first Lincolnia document that West Korea was the inspiration of the political, military, and, and economic structure of Lincolnia being essentially controlled by the state. Basically, any nation that was not Lincolnia was ran by its own independent person or group of people. I think there's also Page that then, and there was another one that was uh, there was the there's a big empire in the Middle East and Greece. Oh yeah, Hellenia. Yeah, the Hellenic Democratic Empire. Those those were big guys. And there was also uh, Kryptomistan. I'm curious, um, before we dive into the lore, how did you recruit the um, additional co-admins? How did you find your council members? So these council members were people who were either members of West Korea, loyal members of the military, or they were... um, ideologues who were similarly aligned to me and ideas which I term imperial socialism or the idea of having an aggressive imperialistic state combined with a collectivistic culture and an economy geared around the nation, as well as uh, just people who are a little bit kind of outsiders, but who I befriended and learned to trust. So it was a very nepotistic system and designed to obviously maintain power in the, the ruling hands. I think I think once or twice there was somebody who mistook, you know, something that I was talking about in terms of war as being a real life war. I think I don't exactly remember when, but I know there was a group chat one time on Instagram. There was somebody who was like, you know, what's going on? Do you see something about a war or something like that? But like it was, I was just like, no, it's just for my role play world. Don't worry. I, did, I didn't go around pranking them too much. Obviously, I did. I did think it was kind of funny that they that they thought for a second that like you know me talking about the sac. I think it was the Sakyanomian War. They thought it was like a real major war that happened. Let's uh, let's just start from the beginning. When was the nation founded? Most modern historians and contemporary historians this day, that sounds so retarded, Marpy, uh, estimate that it was founded in late August of 2018. That's when, that's when it founded. So it was August 23rd, I want to say maybe. Yeah, I think honestly so, because I kind of remember when I, when I was at, at high school, actually those days, and I was talking about when we we're trying to get our first queen and all that before the, even the Sultan war happened. That was, I think, August 25th. So I'm going to assume it was August 23rd when it was founded. Tell me about the populist authoritarian army. So the populist authoritarian army was a paramilitary organization designed to rid the lands of communists and was paved the way to the formation of the Lincolnian army. It was originally planned because I realized I now had this sort of status, this aristocratic status, and I wanted to create an organization to defend my interests, to defend my land, and to resist uh, a left-wing threat. So they were in many ways styled after a right-wing squad in South America. 
the idea was basically that the transition between the populist authoritarian army and the Lincolnian army and the Lincolnian state was basically that that basis of a state, at least according to some, the way some people think, is that it's basically a monopoly on violence, right? And the idea is that if you have, you know, a monopoly, of course, on role play violence, I need to clarify it, role play violence in this, in this fictional world, right? That you have this, I guess, monopoly on violence, if you want to call it, that in that land, that is what would determine now the basis of you being a, a state, right? And that's kind of like the logic. It's basically that, okay, we won the war against the communists. Now it's all one country. But what ended up happening is that we ended up deciding that we need to have a way of denoting the monarchy as being the supreme organization that rules over the entire empire. So what do we do? Well, we create a fake religion to go along with the monarchy and then merge that fake religion into the idea of the monarchy. Back then, there was the cult of Selena that was a major dominant religion in West Korea at the time. And because of that, Maggie Solche was West Korean by nationality. And, but, she, but she was appointed to be the absolute monarch of a nation that was predominantly Christian at the time. This was long before the imperial cult and the whole idea of maintaining control of the populace emerged. There was just the basic idea, okay, we just want a, a, a figurehead of the nation, right? So who do we do? What do we do? We take a West Korean because West Koreans are ally and we point that, put them in charge. But the problem is that she wants to enforce a religion that goes against our values, our values, belief in Jesus being the son of God and that he will save the earth. And that was obviously a serious uh, crisis and that inevitably sparked off a major war. And that's, what, that's why there's, there's different factions, right? On one side, there was the, the, the Lincolnian Imperial Army, but there was also factions within it that were what we call Solchean loyalists. And Solchean loyalists were people who are radically in favor of maintaining the monarchy. The, the first more or less official period is called the Red Alliance. The Red Alliance, yeah. uh, I'll just briefly describe it. I picked an excerpt from the text here. The Red Alliance is a grand military alliance originally formed to replace the war council named the Linko Korean Council that Lincolnia and West Korea had set up to battle the democratic socialist nation of the People's Republic of Kidland. Since more nations increasingly aligned themselves against Kidland, Lincoln on the date of October 25, 2018 decided to form an alliance instead of just a council. The Red Alliance consists of Lincolnia, the Republic of West Korea, per, uh, Persist Sweden, the Republic of Andersonia, and it's the Pierce's. new Piercest Piercest Sweden, the Republic of Andersonia, and the new Holy Roman Empire. The, so the Red Alliance was formed because you see at the time Lincolnia and West Korea were both looking for something to rejuvenate the nations, to unite the populations. And as we know, war is the health of the state. So what, what we did is that we created a war council, but the problem was that we realized that, okay, we have a war council, right? We, we have obviously a numerical advantage now. It's two nations versus one, but it would be easier if we had even more countries on our side, because if we had more countries on our side, the war would go quicker. So we ended up adding a bunch of other countries that were anti-communist, right? A Holy Roman Empire. Go figure why they were anti-communists. Literally everything they were against, uh, you know, or, or Pierce of Sweden, which was a very conservative, monarchist, and yet economically libertarian government. You can imagine these countries had very strong prejudices against a communist group. So we channeled that hatred of communism to having those countries' leaders idiotically sign up for a war that would benefit the imperialist ambitions of both Lincolnia and West Korea. 
among these allied nations is the Republic of Andersonia. And in the period after it, the what's referred to as the Red Gold Alliance, it seems that you annexed part of Andersonia's territory and created a nuclear test site. Yes, we did. Nevada 2.0. Was that an invasion? So it was basically a pact that was created between the Red Gold Alliance and the UNL, the UNL being the United Nations League. And the idea was basically that we wanted to have a situation where our four countries, who were the big dominant players after uh, Saturnomia and its allies in the P block were defeated, we wanted us to be the, you know, the dominant power. So what we did is, is we would go to war against the entire rest of the world, essentially, you know, and two massive empires that go around the world, right? Basically, two British empires, right, declaring war on the rest of the world. And what this ended up doing is that we decided, though, to settle for a little bit less. And instead of trying to take over the world or dominate almost everything, what we decided to do is that we decided to simply take the most powerful country, what was Andersonia, who is our biggest rival in the UNL, and say that we're going to take away 10% of your territory after we went to war against you. And that creates peace, but it also shows who's in charge. So that's what we kind of do. And on top of that, at that point, West Korea and Lincolnia had been merged into one super state called the Grand Union, incorporating not just our nations, but our entire empires into one common group. This, of course, was at the benefit primarily of Lincolnia because West Korea had such high wages and regulations due to its socialist economy that Lincolnia received a massive trade surplus. Okay. Yeah, and the idea was basically, I won't get too far into this, but just illiberal globalism, the idea that We're uniting the world, but we are not doing it in a liberal manner. We're doing it in an authoritarian, militarist manner designed to benefit our nation. I see. Okay, well, this this makes sense because the next chapter of Lincolnian history is referred to as the Golden Age. It's safe to say at that point, there wasn't really any rivals we had except for Stravokia and and the Hellenic Democratic Empire, which we were kind of in an alliance with. This is the founding of the Lincolnian Templars, which is the internal secret police. So the the Templars were formed simply because I wanted to increase my grip on power. Once you as a leader are in control of such a massive structure, I think the most ultimate threat that can jeopardize your power is not within the colonies of your empire or your puppet alliances, but political opposition within your own country. That is the number one threat. Now, obviously, we more so provoked the communists than the other way around. But, uh, you know, I I wanted to have absolute grip on power. And I I was eventually planning to introduce, you know, uh, neoliberal reforms. The economy was, you know, it was way too bureaucratic. When the economic reforms would go through, the idea was that the entire nation itself would be economically liberated. But at the same time, we didn't really want to fully liberate the colonies because it's like, and we didn't want to, you know, create some sort of fair trade balance with West Korea. We didn't want that. So it wasn't necessarily designed to be, uh, you know, equal. It was just more so meant to help big business. The next chapter here is the uh, Sakuranomian War. When we talked about the Sakuranomian War, we talked about the New Global Order. Basically, what ended up happening is that the New Global Order does include the UNL to a little bit. But it's referring to how the world changed after the Sakurinomian War. The Sakurinomian War is also known to the Lord as the Sakurinomian World War because the idea is that this is the third world war that has existed in this timeline now. And the idea was basically that there was this fascist country called Sakurinomia 
that was threatening the entire world, was declaring war on everybody. It was hyper-militarist. It had already been defeated before, but now it was back in full force and was attacking everybody. And the entire globe needed to unite against it. But some countries took the hit harder than others. And when Sakunomi was defeated, obviously, there was a certain reality that when you look at how the, how the, the globe is now, Sakunomi is gone as a power, meaning that, that the major powers now are, is the Lincolnian Empire, the West Korean Empire, the Stravokian, you know, the Kingdom of Stravokia, and the Hellenic Democratic Empires. A lot of a lot of the, the rest of the world at that point was didn't really couldn't really do anything, especially now that the UNL had taken such a toll with this war, and also because of the fact that that center of power in Sakunomia was gone, so it shift, shifted how the world basically worked, and that's what led to the Golden Age. That's what led to the Grand Union and all that, because the Grand Union was actually. Uh, formalized during that time. We actually had a coup. I think, do you read about this where we talked about the coup in West Korea? I remember a, a number of passages about West yeah. Korea, but I, I'm not sure if I remember that coup specifically. In that chapter, not only do we discuss the Sakonomian War, but the power moves that were going behind the scenes in West Korea to overthrow the government, reinstall uh, Nick as the head of government, and then take West Korea and Lincolnia and their empires and link them together to form the Grand Union and put Queen Amanda as the head. By the end of that chapter, the idea is that the, now that most of the world is subjugated between three major powers and the Grand Union is the leading one. I think it was a day a little bit after the Sakurinomian War, and I was writing some of the history documents and researching the history of Sakurinomia and looking at that and realized that we had come so far and that we had built this glorious empire, you know, by late December, early January, and that I was this, this head of it, you know? I think that that really kind of felt like, you know, whoa, we've we've come a long ways, you know. I, I guess I would say one of my favorite moments was we had this exchange between silver bars and chili peppers. I just wanted an excuse to have chili peppers in Lincolnia. So I, I asked for two tons of chili to be imported, you know, to know that we were on top of the world and we could just, you know, create these kinds of quick deals. It just was nice, you know, to know that we won that much, you know. Shortly after this, on the 7th of January, you had a meeting with the Prime Minister of Kurtmistan, and this begins a period which in the lore is referred to as the Great Decline. I believe the Great Decline, doesn't it start um, after a car bomb goes off? There's a group uh, within the nation called mm. the, the Paramilitary Association of Revolutionary Action. Yes, Sarah. yes, the, the PARA, PARA. Yeah. yeah, and there's a car bomb that goes off in the yeah. city center. Uh, this is described in the documents as uh, an act of insurrection. Right. And then this calls uh, the minister, or sorry, the prime minister of Kurdistan to visit Lincoln City to have a conference with General Lincoln. Yes, of course. They At that point, we were, we were pretty um, ingratiated with, uh, and we had known them for a while. So there was a lot more friendship between us, if that's what you're wondering. If you notice peppered throughout the lore, there's a constant anti-communist energy that per persists. So you could argue that this was an international attempt to put down communism in Lincolnia itself, if you will. You have to remember at this point in the lore, communism has been largely squashed around the world. And if you look at what Para is styled after, they are kind of like a you know Latin American paramilitary that still persists in the 1980s. You know, a group that's going to die off soon. You know, 
They seem to be relatively successful, though, because following yes. this period, there's a new territory that forms called the Conan Socialist Republic, or the CSR. Yes. And, and it seems like that was founded by core members of PARA. Did they stake out their own sovereign territory? Oh, or, oh um, so what ended up happening, it was a peace deal, actually, between the Lincolnian government. It was, it, was very, it was a very, very humiliating day that I had to go to a bunch of pesky rebels within my country and tell them that they could have our third largest city to themselves as long as they cooperated with my regime. Wow. So they had, they got their own city state. Yeah. Towards the end of January, there's a new radical liberal movement that emerges within the nation and there are riots in the street. This maybe seems inspired by the Gilets Jaunes, the Yellow Vest protests, uh, perhaps. Oh, yep, yep, it, exactly. There's a lot of things, if you notice details about historical movements, historical references. So, so around this time, you have a radical insurrectionist group, which has now formed their own sovereign city-state. There's riots happening in the capital. Uh, what is happening in the peripheries? What's happening in the colonies at this stage? At this stage, there's nothing happening in the colonies, but there's something even bigger going on, and that's the Lexit movement. The Lexit movement is basically the what happened at the aftermath of the establishment of the CSR or Conan Socialist Republic in the municipality of Conan. And what ended up occurring is that we ended up having a major issue because the queen would not handle that. Queen Amanda, who was our longest reigning queen who presided over the Golden Age, would not handle and she was at this point merged as literally a figure as worship as the imperial cult she was believed to be the mother goddess of the earth you know she she disagreed with this idea of treating para as anything but enemies and i did not want to continue a costly bloody war so what ended up happening is i used my own secret police agency the lincolnian empire uh, templars to depose the queen from power after that i literally decided to take the entire, you know, I guess, if you will, uh, uh, government back away from her, take away her power, move the entire position of the monarch and, and proceed to uh, kick her out of the country. And that triggered a constitutional crisis within the Grand Union because Queen Amanda was still the queen of the Grand Union, which Lincoln was part of, and was still the queen of the West Korean Empire. And the West Korean government was extremely upset about this because they had signed on to this agreement that Queen Amanda would be the queen and she would balance the the power between the the, the two major empires in the Grand Union. But because Lincoln did not agree to that anymore, because we rejected Queen Amanda's judgment entirely, or that completely forced Lincolnia to have to basically go into a referendum where we would declare our independence from the Grand Union. So what I did is that I went around the country telling uh, Lincolnians, how we were going to take our country back from West Korea, despite the ignorance of the fact that it was obviously heavily integrated at this point into the West Korean em- imperial economy as well. So we ended up disconnecting and separating by me convincing the people that we need to retake our sovereignty back and that the Grand Union was stifling our, our national independence in a way. And that caused a major economic collapse. You have a military coup that deposes the monarch, which then sets off a group of religious fanatics inside of the country, riots inside the the capital city. Around April, you form what's described as a new inner council, the inner inner circle. circle. Sorry, The inner circle was not a legal body whatsoever. It was more so supposed to be my posse to, it's supposed to to show the uh, the inherent uh, psyche or psychology or pathology behind the dictator. 
I mean, if you see in polls before, you know, there's very popular things that are going on, but now it shows that there's this disconnect between the leader and his people. The May election is an extremely narrow margin that you managed to hold on to power, but it seems it seems quite clear that popular legitimacy for the regime is is crumbling at this time, that the, the monarchy has changed in and out, uh, the nation yeah. is not strongly held together, it's not as prosperous as before. And then mm-hmm. June begins the Stravokian-Lincolnian War, which yeah. has devastating consequences. So the war begins with, I guess, wanting in a weird way, more power. I realized that, okay, right now in the world, West Korea at this point had collapsed. West Korea's colonies had left it, and it was going through a bunch of infighting, all these sorts of religious infighting. So now we have to deal with a very, very important issue. Lincolnia really now has two enemies it has to deal with, but these enemies remain a constant geopolitical threat, especially after the East African War of Expansion, and which now pushes Lincolnia's borders right up to the southern borders of uh, the Hellenic uh, Democratic Empire. So we now have the situation where there's three major countries in the world that are vying for power. And I wanted to have a decisive strike on at least one of them, a Pearl Harbor moment, if you will. And the war quickly to be so devastating to the point where Stravokia would have no way of responding and to hopefully get them to, you know, just, you know, a surrender and basically become a weaker, more peripheral power in the world. Instead, what ended up happening is that Stravokia ended up all out against Yinkonia, but also integrated its other ally, which was the Hellenic Democratic Empire. And what ended up happening is that the Lincolnian Imperial Army was so massive, though, and so, you know, we were so focused on our military force that we ended up marching into the entire southern part of the Hellenic Democratic Empire and just completely wiping it, you know, just off the map. I mean, there is there is stuff about, you know, us, you know, wiping out, you know, large segments of the of the population there. And the idea is basically that if we completely decimate the population of the Hellenic Democratic Empire, similar to what. Fire Lord Ozai wanted to do at the end of the last airbender, there would just be no threat to Lincolnian hegemony. The idea was basically that we can't just simply break up or take over large parts of the Hellenic Democratic Empire because that would allow the empire to one day rise again and threaten us. We just wanted the empire to be completely flattened, just be obliterated so we wouldn't have to deal with them again. By August of 2019, the Lincolnian Imperial Army had taken control over most of Egypt save for the Sinai. The Stravokian-Lincolnian War was dragged on for months, with no end in sight. The political and military leaders of Hellenia, facing the near total annihilation of their empire, its people, and its lush, fertile environments, decided to catch Lincolnia off guard. On August 13th of 2019, they decided to launch 50 nuclear ICBMs intercontinental ballistic missiles at the heartland of Lincolnia, including Lincoln City, Goldport, and the farmlands of central Lincolnia. The Lincolnian national government had a rapid response time and authorized the launch of over 200 nuclear ICBMs at cities and major military bases throughout both Hellenic and Stravokian territory, leading to their inevitable doom. The Stravokian-Lincolnian War ended with a nuclear exchange. By its end, none of the governments or militaries of the three warring states existed. All were consumed in nuclear fire. Well, how do you feel looking back at the conclusion to the lore? I mean, you know, I think that the way that I ended it was the right way to end things. Because 
when you have this, you have this story, right? At this, this small time militia from a decaying country, right? And it flourished into a nation and then it built itself into a mighty empire and then globalist union. And then it comes crashing down in this massive balkanization, which eventually leads to its inevitable doom. I feel like that's just such a beautiful way to end the story, a sort of Spenglerian civilizational arc, you know?